Well, I want to welcome you. There's a lot of new people here today. By the way, we've got a lot of 180 homes meeting online right now. North Shore, some downtown. Give our 180 homes that are meeting online a big round of applause. Uh, we've got we've got some uh, marathon enthusiasts, distance runners that I think are just now. My bride was just walking in here. Is she, my wife returned yet? She's out there watching. Yeah. My wife ran the marathon a couple of times, and she goes, "Bub, I got to see these runners." So she's been down there um, on Michigan Ave, watching them come by. And man, isn't what a metaphor that God calls us to run the spiritual race, just like these guys are running this race? Isn't that a great thing that God was that practical with the pictures that He uses? So it's just great to have you wherever you are today around the globe. And yes, those friends in South Africa this morning, so great to have you with us. You know, in this series called "Come Alive," where self-help ends and God's power begins, I want you to know that we're going to walk through some of the most fundamental principles that create. As we're going to learn tonight, if you're one of the 70 that are going through discipleship groups right now tonight, I'm going to do a teaching at six o'clock that's going to set the deck before you go into your small groups. And a couple of words on that. Number one, if you aren't in this first wave of discipleship, don't feel like, uh-oh, I'm not with the groovy kids. The cool kids class already left town. No, we got plenty of time. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to go into more and more waves of discipleship. But I want you to know that what we're going to be tackling today is so incredibly fundamental to the abundant life in Christ that you really need to get this. Whether you're in this discipleship kind of track that we're in called first wave or not, this is going to be fundamental today because I'm telling you, self-help has to end. And God's power needs to begin, and it needs to begin today. One of the first ways I understood this difference is kind of in a fun way. I love water skiing. I got to be pretty good at water skiing to the point where my graduation gift from high school was a taper flex concave competition. It was the last great wooden ski built. Kennelly and these other guys and O'Brien were coming out with great slalom skis, but my dad popped for a taper flex concave competition. It had a beautiful camber to it. It was a great ski. It was tough to get up on、uh, with one ski because it was just—it was just built for pretty hardcore slalom. But man, that was a far cry from when I first learned how to water ski. When I first learned how to water ski, it was in the cold waters of Alaska, and I remember the very first time I did what they told me to do. I got down in my flotation vest. I leaned back. I got my tips up out of the water, and then when that rope came taut, that 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 boat, I just yelled to them from the stern. They could hear me. I yelled, "Hit it!" Boom! That boat punched it, and I started to come up out of that water, and I was doing good right at the start, starting to come up out about halfway up out of that water. And what did I do? Hands extended. Here's what I did. I began to try to what? Pull myself up. About that time, I went over the front of my skis, got the mother of all nasal washes. I think even some trout went through my nostrils. I mean, it was a nasal wash and a half, man. And I come up with a flotation device, and I'm spitting and sputtering, and all my buddies in the boat are like, <laughs> they're howling, they're mocking me. The one adult on board looked at me and he said, "Carl, you almost had it." You're going to get up this time, but this is what I need you to know. I need you to let the boat do the work. Don't try to help it. 
He said, extend your arms, lean back, let the boat pull you up. The rope came taut, and I yelled, hit it! And I kept my arms out, I leaned back, I got up on those skis, and I was water skiing. The reason I mention that is because it's often the case, especially here, one of the great, I would say the Achilles heel of the American church is that we're getting up out of the water in our relationship with God, and you know what we do? We think we got to help him. We think we got to pull ourselves up. We wonder uh, by the actions that we live, we wonder, I wonder if the boat's got the juice, so I better pull myself up. If I'm going to be water skiing here, I got to get busy. I need you to know something that this myth is something that afflicts me every day as your pastor. I battle with it. I fight with this thing that we're going to tackle today called joining God. That's the title of our message today. And I need you to hear me right now. I, I hadn't even planned to say this, but this is a battle that will never be won in this lifetime. It's going to be a constant refrain that you're going to hear over and over again from the power of the Holy Spirit, which is, quit trying to do it on your own. Start trusting me. Oh God, give me clarity as I communicate this today. I just want to get out of your way and Holy Spirit, move in power and let us have fun, but let us just be captured by the truth of your word. Not my ideas, but the truth of your word today. And I just say that, let it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you think about joining God, I got another metaphor for you. It's kind of a water metaphor. Commercial fish for eight seasons in Bristol Bay, Alaska, which is on the west coast of Alaska. We delivered our salmon to a lot of the boats that are on deadliest catch. One of the boats, High Spirits, that's been a regular on deadliest catch. I've been, in the, I've been in the galley sucking down coffees with those guys on that ship back when they were tending salmon for us. So all of those boats on deadliest catch, they would come in, and in the summer months when they weren't king crab fishing, they would do what's called tendering our salmon. In other words, they'd take our salmon that we harvested, we'd drop them off on those crab ships. They would then, from the crabbers, take them to the Japanese, what's called trampers. They were converted World War II vessels, which is a really trippy thing to see in Alaskan waters. So we would hand them off to those Japanese vessels, and then the, they take them to our salmon to the housewives of Japan because the red salmon in Alaska is the fish of choice for the housewife in, in Japan. On one particular late night, we were in some rough waters, but it was really scary because there was fog as well. Usually fog and rough seas don't go together. But then this night, it was super rough seas, and there were a lot of sandbars. The tide was going out, and we were in a problem. We had our proverbial, I like to say it, we got our tookie in a squisher out there, I want to tell you. And we're like, how in the world are we going to get out of here? We got 25,000 pounds of salmon on board, and we got to make market. Make market means we got to go sell these before they spoil. My captain got on a very high frequency VHF, not VHS, that's something you watch cheesy movies with, VHF, very high frequency radio, and he radioed to our tender. He said, hi, spirits, this is Gene M. And then he released the button. High spirits, this is Gene M. Release the button. And after about two call-outs, we heard Gene M, high spirits. And we, all of a sudden, made connection with the very vessel that we needed to go drop our fish off to. 
Now, we didn't know how to navigate through the fog in that region of Bristol Bay that night. But we needed to be careful that we didn't run aground. And they had a Lorian Sea with all the coordinates, and they had charted maps of that little bay. And so they told us how many degrees south, how many degrees west, how to make our pivots. And Marvin would stay on the horn with them going, hey, this is a G&M. We are at this waypoint on the Lorian Sea. How are we doing? Doing great, GM. Continue on that Loran C coordinate for another about a, another mile and a half nautical miles, and you're going to see our crab vessel with its lights on right around the corner. Came around the corner, the fog lifted a little bit. Huge vessel sitting there with its crab lights beaming down. We loaded up on that. We got into the port side of the boat, offloaded the salmon, went into the galley, and got a cup of coffee. But here was the key that you got to understand. The only way we made it out there was we had ongoing communication with that crab boat. Here's the problem. We have learned a style of doing Christianity that never lets go of the mic. We hold the mic down. We pray, 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 and then set it down and walk away. We read the Bible, 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 never hear God speak off the pages of his word. We sometimes go really big time and we fast and pray and fast and pray and the mic's down and we're fasting and praying and fasting and praying and we never release the mic to hear from God who wants to guide us to safe harbor how to make market with our life. You see, the problem is we've been programmed and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart and when I say I fight this all the time, there is a great spiritual malady in, and I mean this, predominantly American Christianity, and I know you hear me hit this a lot, and I'm not against American Christians, I am one, but I, we've got a big malady that the average world disciple doesn't encounter because the cost of discipleship in most countries is a lot higher than it is here. And you're forced in utter dependence on God constantly. You don't pray right now as a Christian in Afghanistan going, hey God, I just uh, wondered if we got some food for tonight and how's it going there? And I just want to say, you know, uh, you know, God is great and amen and set the thing. No, man, they're like, God, we need you. Are you there? I'm here. God, we're really hurting right now. We're, we're losing some brothers and sisters. They're getting killed. They strangled our one our one dear friend down the street who claimed to be a Jesus follower and was actually in the military for the Afghan army and they killed him and were scared to death, God. I will never leave you or forsake you. I need you to hear me. We're too busy pulling ourselves up. We think somehow we can get ourselves water skiing. We think somehow we can get ourselves to make market with all that we've got on board in our life and avoid the sandbars without listening to God. It just doesn't work. I want to make you an assurance that joining God will bring you out of the fog of performing for This is a battle that we need to win. 
Joining God will bring you up out of the fog of this performance mentality for God. And, and this morning, I want to give you very expeditiously three core truths that will position you for God's power. Now, hear me. These are not just core truths. These are central truths. These are essential truths. These are truths that as I mined them, and they were a discovery for me, and each of these were a personal discovery that I found just studying the Word. And I'm like, I don't know if I never heard this before. I don't know if I never got it. But man, God, I got it now, and I never want to lose them. But what I'm about to tell you, I want to be so forthright with you on. These truths that I'm going to give you, right from the Word of God, are so easy to lose that I can be tracking with them at 8 a.m., and by high noon, I can have forgotten some of them. But by God's Spirit, if I just have a moment of self-awareness where I go, he'll go back to these, Carl. These three have set me free in my relationship with Christ like almost nothing else to join him. And I can't wait to share them with you. Santiago, you ready to go, my man? I love this guy, man. He's got, he's got electronics out, smile on his face, leaning forward. I'm like, that's the spirit we need in this place right now. So let me give you the first one, and I'm going to set it up with three central passages of Scripture. Look at James 4, 6. Write down these passages. Look at them later. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace, James, the half-brother of Jesus said. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I need you to know something about this verse that is very important. This is critical. There is no kind of in-between land in our relationship with God. This is super, super important. you got to get this. Either you have God's favor and elevation, or you're actually receiving a stiff arm from God. See, pride is such a problem. Why is pride such a problem? We know that pride is the very thing that caused Satan to fall from the presence of God. We know that Lucifer was actually a really beautiful angel, and he started believing his press clippings. Never believe your press clippings. For everyone who thinks that you're all that in a bag of chips, there are ten others who think you're nothing, okay? Just little something from an old man to all y'all, all right? So here's an interesting thing. We find that James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So it's not this neutral zone like, hey, I wonder if we're in or wonder if we're out. No, no, it's full opposition. Psalm 138 says, verse 6, check this one out, next verse. For though the Lord is high... He regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Whoa, what do you mean by this, Carl? I mean, I mean, when you get humility resonant in your heart, you have closer proximity to God by just virtue of having that as an attribute. By the way, I feel prompted to say this right now. I've shared this before, but I want you to get it now. Maybe this is the first and only time you'll be here. Never forget this. Humility is not a spiritual gift. It's a choice you make by the grace of God to take hold of something. I think some of us wait for humility to fall on us, go walk in the woods. Maybe humility will be like that, you know, that, that acorn that comes out of a tree and goes, donk, and now I've got humility. No. Humility doesn't work that way. Humility is a choice that you make in sober judgment comparing yourself to who God is. That's humility. So Psalm 138, clear. How about 1 Peter 5, 6? Here's another one that's critical, central passage. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that in the proper time he may exalt you. Whoa. You know, God is not against exaltation or greatness. Last week, we saw that God's for greatness. It's just the path to get there is totally different than what we commonly think. God is not against lifting up people. He just lifts up the humble. And so you might say, is it okay to be motivated for exaltation and remain humble? I think it absolutely is paramount that you be honest with yourself. If God makes a promise, he's true to it. But here's the beautiful thing. When you're genuinely humble and you get lifted up by God, you still won't think, I'm all that in a bag of chips. You'll still say, God lifted me here. See, it's a beautiful thing. So let me give you the first core truth that will position you for God's power. Here it is. Humility is a vital baseline for everything we do. Humility is a vital baseline for everything we do everything and if we live this it will radically impact the fruit of our life I, I need to be clear with you the instincts and in nature that we're born with run in the opposite direction of spiritual growth and victory self-promotion self-protection self-aggrandizement self-help are what naturally come to us but God's way is 180 degrees opposite. That's why we call this place 180. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Everything in God's economy is upside down and backward. But when we choose to live in submission to God's economy, we're going to benefit exponentially. I need you to hear me right now. Humility is a vital baseline for everything we do. I want to talk to you men for a second right now. Listen to me. You want your woman to feel loved? Do you want your woman to feel like, man, my man loves me? I'll tell you what's more important than any kind of bravado or uh, honeydew list or anything else. One of the greatest spiritual turn-ons for a godly woman is humility in a man. It's a fact. And out of humility comes an act of servanthood that can't be matched by any other man-made power. Humility is the birthplace of all the other virtues. Remember what Andrew Murray says, it is. It's the a, it's a birthplace where all these other virtues grow. And so I want to tell you, all you men here, and you young men that are here, it's so awesome to see you young guys. I'm telling you, listen to me. Young men, young men, be humble now. This is a season to learn what it is to be humble because, man, you're going to be, oh, you're going to be a rock star for Jesus. And Deshay and other young ladies here, don't ever settle for a man that has the red flag of pride in his life. Don't settle for a man like that. That's old school manhood. That's not healthy manhood. And that's not a man you want to be snuggling up with and making babies with, straight up. That's as, that's, as, that's as honest as I can it's as honest as I can be this morning. Sorry about that. Just trying to be honest here. If you're in South Africa, it's good to have you this morning. <laughs> really is. Sorry about that. Sometimes I feel like we're driving down a road in a car together. <laughs> I really do mean what I just said though. 
so I, I won't repeat that. You'll have to see that <laughs> later online. You know, I want to tell you that humility, uh, the threat, the constant threat of pride is ever-present. Would you agree with me on that one? Um, uh, we had, I, I host a morning show, and we had this thing called Share this week, and if you don't know what we do, we rate, we're listener-supported radio, and so our morning show was tasked with raising a boatload of money, and God, through amazing people, did a crazy things, guys. We raised Friday morning in a few hours over $200,000. These are get people that call in and go online and give 10, 15, 20, 100,000. Some people sometimes give 10 grand as a matching gift challenge. But on Tuesday, I asked for, excuse me, Wednesday when it started in the six o'clock hour, I said, if there's anyone that's got 20 grand, been rocked by God and is ready to put it up as a match challenge, call in right now. And guy Michael from Aurora said, I've been listening to Carl and crew. I love what they're doing and I got 20 grand. Now, let me tell you what started creeping in, because Chicago is just one of the stations in all this big Moody family. But to be candid with you, we started kicking everyone's rear end. I mean, every market. I'm talking Cleveland, Indianapolis, Florida, both stations, in, we're killing them all. And for a moment, I started thinking, you're a fundraising fool, Carl. <laughs> and then something really sweet happened. The Holy Spirit told me, isn't it great what I'm doing through you? And I said, man, it is. And I learned that I could enjoy what God was doing even more when I realized that I'm just a vessel and so we, we ended the day, and at the end of it, um, I was cheering for another station to make their goal, and I couldn't leave the computer screen until I saw them make it. And I'm like, wow, God, that's you and me. That's not me and me. It's a battle, though, man. You know, I find that you can be prideful at 9 a.m., humble at 9.30, prideful again at 10. <laughs> I just want to keep it real. That's kind of as real as that procreation thing I just said a moment ago. Yeah. Oh, we're on the edge here right now, people, so I'm going to keep going. Some of you be praying, Pastor Carl, keep rolling right now. John 15 leads us into another great, great central passage, though, that we've got to focus on. John 15, verses 4 through 5, and then we're going to cherry-pick verse 8. Look at what it says here. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. How much can a branch bear by itself? Nothing. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do, let's say it together, nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now this is, ah, I get so excited about this passage. Because I had heard this, I memorized this back before I ever even knew Jesus personally. I was eating candy bars that I won for memorizing this verse and it meant nothing to me. But then all of a sudden I got saved and I started reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit started showing me what things meant. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I got two friends up here. Quick, guys, quick, quick, quick. I'm going to bring up Jose 
And David, um, sprint on up here. Hosea is going to be in the role of Jesus. And then David is going to be a branch. Now, here's what I want you to know. I've done this all over the country, guys. And this has really been fruitful. And I've done it here a few times. But I want to be super clear today. This is very important. And I want you to get this. This is super serious. Because if you get this, it will change the way you live. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. You know what Jesus said about himself when he picked up those grape leaves and showed them all that fruit? He said, look it, I'm willing to say I'm this gnarly stump coming out of the ground, okay? He went on to say the father's the vine dresser dealing with the branches and pruning and trimming and picking up and all that stuff in this narrative of John 15. But right here, he's saying something really powerful. I've got chills right now, I can't wait. So he said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And then he said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Now, we got some grapes right here, okay? <laughs> but before we show those grapes, keep that arm down. Here's, here's, the, here's the problem that is invariably comes up, and I need you to get this. Most Christians believe that they need to be good Christians. And I need you to know something. You can't be a good Christian. It is impossible for you to be a good Christian. The sooner you get this, the better off you're going to be. Because as long as you try to be a good Christian, let me give it to you practically. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. you got a choice. You can focus on fruit bearing. That's produce, production of fruit. Or you can focus on proximity to Jesus. But you can't do both. We are programmed to be saved by Jesus and then I owe, I owe, so off to church I go and I better serve and I better start doing this and I ought to and I should and we just, it's horrible. It's no wonder this new generation's running from this thing called authentic Christianity. But we can bring them back home and here's how. If we start living the life that Jesus intended, Katie, bar the door, something's going to happen. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Now here's what we got to do. For too long, what we've done is we've focused, looking out here, right? Look out here a second, David. This is where we focused. I've got to have love, I've got to have joy, I've got to have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I've got to have this in my life. I've got to be good to people. I can't react to my husband who's a horse's patootie today. I've got to do all this stuff, and I've got to do it well, and I've got to, oh, no, 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 no. Stop. This is insane. But 95%, no, I'm going to go higher than that. 99% of Christians that I know are stuck usually living in this kind of a realm. This has to end. Here's what's beautiful. Because when you focus over here, you ready for what happens? The minute you're focusing over here, you lose all proximity to Jesus. Now the little power that you had is gone. But when you abide in a relationship with Jesus and you focus on hanging with him and letting him drag your booty out of the water and you're letting him get you through the fog, right? Then one day, unbeknownst to you, you're going to look over and go, look at here. Look what God's doing in my life. Thanks. Give these guys a hand. Good job. Good job. Does that make sense? 
You can focus on performing for God or you can focus on proximity to God, but you cannot do both. You cannot. How do you know that, Carl? I've tried it for the best part of my life. And it doesn't work. This is why the spiritual disciplines are not designed for us to produce fruit. It's designed to position us in proximity to the God who can produce fruit in and through us. How freeing is that? And you might say, I I, I don't even know how to be a good wife, or I don't know how to be a good husband, I don't know how to be a great student, or I don't even know if I can be the man that should be courting a girl that I'm dreaming of. You can do all those things through Christ who strengthens you. So let me give you the third core principle of joining God. This is really some of the meat and potatoes here. I'm going to give you this one right now. Excuse me, did I not get proximity? Yeah, I did. Proximity to Jesus is our only hope of producing fruit. If I didn't state that clearly, let's leave that up there for a second. Yeah, leave it up there for a second. So proximity to Jesus is our only hope of producing fruit. First one was humility is a vital baseline for everything we do. Proximity to Jesus is our only hope of producing fruit. And now the third one, here we go. Saving grace gives us new life Training grace gives us abundant life. Now, that one needs some explanation because some of you are going, huh? What's going on here? Let me explain. By going to the Word, when I found this in Titus 2, my mind almost exploded. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, why didn't they tell me this in Bible college? I just walked out of there thinking I needed to get to work in my own strength. Look at what we find in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. Guys, pop it up. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So grace has brought what? Salvation. Stay with me here. Training us, comma, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Whoa. Here's what I need you to know. There is saving grace, and the same grace is the grace for training grace. In other words, the grace that saves us is the same grace that's going to grow us. There is one grace, the one for saving and the one for training. Grace brings us from death to life, and grace trains us to grow strong in this life. I need you to know that. This was revolutionary for me. When I first heard this first time, I couldn't hardly believe it. It overthrew my flawed thinking about how life worked for us kids. I knew well the power of God to save me, but I didn't know how in the world God was going to sanctify me and grow me up. And then I learned something. When I was in Titus 2, this was not too many years ago, it finally cemented itself in my heart. That the same way I came to Jesus is the same way I need to follow Jesus in utter dependence on him. This is hard. Absent persecution, this is hard. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
But if we're mindful of these first two principles and we're understanding of how God works and wants to work in and through our lives, we're going to get this more and more. And let me just explain to you, in conclusion, how this is now beginning to work itself out in my life, and, I, and I'm hoping that this will work its way out in you. When I came to Jesus, you need to know something. I didn't come to Christ with this intellectual ascent where all the pieces finally came together. Uh-uh. I had all the intellectual pieces. I was raised in a pretty good church. They were, they were pretty much duty-bound. The, mess, the subplot message I got was, God's gracious to save you, but you better act right, buddy. That's kind of the subplot message I got, if you want to know the truth. And I, that's hard. I mean, if my, my dad, who's 93, is watching right now, uh, or any of my family, I want to tell you, you guys gave me grace, for sure. But... The culture that we were raised in stunk, Dad, and he knows that. And it was really, it was religious duty. Now, we were freedom fighters as much as they come by. I mean, we had great liberty and talked about the free and grace of God. But I'm telling you, this thing is so insidious. This notion where God saves us and then we got to get to work is so insidious, it's everywhere. But let me tell you what did happen when I was born again. If I've never been clear before, let me be clear now. Most of you know I was snorting cocaine like a wild man, and my, cor- my coke snorting was only to counterbalance the crown royal that I was drinking. And at the same time, I'm leading huge teams of construction guys. Uh, guys, I'm 23 years old, and I'm leading crews of 20 to 30 men on construction sites that are, some of them, three times my age. So, I mean, I've got a lot of weight on my shoulders and a, a whole lot of pride going with it, and I've got good money, and I've got the Coke, and I've got the crown, and I've got all this stuff going together at the same time. But I knew the gospel story. I could still go to church. I could do like some of you maybe even do when you come here. You're living a lie out there. You come in here, and you're singing songs. But I'm telling you, on February 11th of 1984, God showed me this, not new information, a new posture. And he said to me, are you done yet? And on that day, I was postured in total, complete dependence on God. Let me tell you what I have to do. I asked my bride yesterday about some honeydews that she's got for me. And she gave me two things yesterday that she wanted to get done. And I want to tell you something. The first one that she wanted me to get done, she's hearing this for the first time, I didn't want to do at all. I didn't want to do it. I thought we could wait a few days. Now, in retrospect, let me tell you what's really cool. I'm glad I got on it because I found out if I would have gotten on it when I wanted to get on it, it would have been too late, and it could have jeopardized our entire vacation. And that would have been a big mother of all I told you so's, and I would have deserved it. But I hunkered down, got upstairs in my office, and I told God, I don't have, I got all the information, but I don't have the juice to do what I got to do, and I believe you want me to do this for my bride. And I tapped into that same thing that happened February 11th of 1984 when God said, are you done yet? And I just, by the act of my will, said, I don't want to do this. You know my heart. I don't even have the energy for this. 
but I know you've called me to honor my bride, and this is the one thing she's asked me to do. God, would you help me have the juice to do it? And he did. And I actually did it with joy, especially when I found out I almost got our tookie in a squisher by waiting too long. Now, I need you to hear me. Our relationship with God is this vital. I have been trying to learn what it is to walk in utter dependence on God, not just for salvation, but for sanctification, which is a fancy word for growing up. But I need you to hear my final words this morning, and they're on the screen. Unlearning the habit of self-effort is difficult, but learning to join God is worth the pain. I need you to know this right now. Unlearning the habit of self-effort for your pastor is maybe my biggest battle. Maybe my biggest battle. And I'm going to tell you right now, angel, you got an incredible bride sitting next to you, but you will never be the man that she deserves unless you and I resolve together that the same way God saved us and you were radically altered by Jesus is the same way he's going to grow us because she deserves a stud muffin like that, and you want to be that man. Right answer, good answer, right there. But I need you to hear me right now. My greatest battle has been unlearning the habit of self-effort, but it's worth every bit of pain we go through. just want David and Lori up here. We're going to vamp. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Just bow your heads right now if you would. Just, just David and Lori up here real quick. Everyone else, bow your heads. And Father, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart that we have such an attentive, attentive group here today. So dialed in to what you're doing. Oh, Father, I pray that you will allow us the grace to grow that you will show us that joining you is the greatest thing we can do and we can talk with you all throughout the day. It's as practical as can be and I give you thanks. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to be really practical here before Lori sings us over us here. Getting you out of here at a reasonable time today. You guys, I might set a land speed record for today. That's amazing. I want, I want you to hear me, though. This is super, super important. You might say, well, Pastor, practically, how does this work for you? Fair. So when I open the Bible, I never open the Bible and read where I don't give room for God to speak back to me from his word, okay? So when I'm reading, I'm going, what are you saying? What are you saying? Not what am I reading. I'm saying, what are you, what are you saying? What are you saying? My wife and I, oh, we did it this morning. We, sometimes you think you got to pray, and if you pray, you got to get in a certain posture and all that. No, the posture of the heart matters more than anything. We drove down here today, and probably half the way here, we just prayed, and we go back and forth. Now, I need you to know something. I was driving, and I never closed my eyes. Well, maybe a little bit. I'm just kidding. I never close my eyes. Listen to me. 
Isn't it weird, the little mists that we have? This is why sometimes I pray in church with my eyes wide open, because God is way more normal than we've made him. And he wants to talk with us. And so my bride and I, will go on prayer walks together. And when we walk, we pray with our eyes open. Yeah, you guys are getting this. Because we don't want to run into cars and trees and things like that. And it's beautiful. And when you ever take a risk to fast and maybe go without food for a day, fast with your Bible open so that the Lord can speak to you. Listen to me. We're stuck in a fog of self-will, and the only way to come out is by joining God. Let's do it. Everyone up on your feet.